0: Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I am a part of Gestalt IT and each episode we bring to you the opinions and viewpoints of visionaries in the IT industry. I'd like to take a moment for them to introduce themselves before we get started with the premise of today's episode, starting with Nick.
1: Hi, I'm Nick Baraglio. Uh, I've been working in service provider, WAN, large high capacity network since the in the late nineties. Um and uh yeah. All
2: right, Vince. Um Vince Shuley. Been working in networking for about ten years now. And you mm-hmm. can find me on Twitter at Shuly22 or blogging at stub area51.net.
3: All right. And last we have Chris. Uh least I am Chris Cummings. Uh you can find me on Twitter at Cranky Netman, and uh I very occasionally blog at slash 64.tech that's slash the word 64 the numbers.tech.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Let's jump into the premise for this episode. Uh, now we talk a lot about security when it comes to it, because it's a very important component of everything that we do. And we all have our favorite ways to secure things. It could be a combination lock. It could be a keypad on a door, but it's probably a firewall. When I say the word security, if we're talking about it, you're probably thinking of a box with blinky lights that does some kind of port scanning security and acts like a termination point for things. And you know what? If one firewall is good, more is better. So let's just put firewalls everywhere. And we know how well that that typically works. So the premise for this episode is that firewalls don't belong everywhere. And when we were talking about this uh, we in doing the show notes from before, we were talking about the fact that it just seems like that people think, oh, well, let's put a firewall in front of everything that has a perimeter. It doesn't matter. We need to treat this like a very hard, defined, crunchy edge And the problem that you run into is that when you start inserting firewalls into everywhere, you create a whole lot more problems, not just secure layers. But you have middle boxes that need to be negotiated. You have operating systems that need to be upgraded. You have rules that can interfere with each other that don't quite make sense. And since I have a bunch of people on here who run service provider transit networks where speed is really important, I wanted to start off by kind of asking, has anyone in this group ever seen Like a brand new Mark one mod zero engineer, step into a service provider and go, Hey, you guys need a firewall on that server farm over there, or you're going to get hacked.
1: Uh, Unequivocally. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I think one of the most difficult things, actually, let me take a step back. I'm going to, I'm going to play the, this card today, we call them UTMs, unified threat management devices. So The reason being they can do, you know, obviously a lot more than just staple packet filtering. But one of the very common things that I've seen over the course of my career is an engineer comes in that doesn't have a wide area background or a high performance computing background. uh, And they don't understand that there is not a perimeter. Like there isn't like here is where Internet happens, because as we stated in the last uh, show, you know, we're the, we are that little cloud on the diagram 90% of the time because most folks aren't running service provider networks. So just understanding that the edge is not a physical location, it is where the ASN stops is a very significant mind shift that has to happen.
0: I think that's a good point to bring up, Nick, because like, as you say, for enterprise people, the edge of your network is where the packets go to go somewhere else. And in a service provider, you're effectively surrounded because on one side you have your customers and on the other side you have your destinations that you're providing transit for. And so the edges to you are a little bit different because they kind of focus on both sides. Because unless you're running a super large enterprise or you've designated yourself as a transit area, you don't have packets that land somewhere else. Either they go out to the internet or they come back in to hit something that you offer and they kind of stay there. So effectively you're a leaf node in this tree. And I think it's important for people to kind of understand that, that when you are the bypass, when you are the interstate, you want to make sure that you don't have a whole lot of stoplights for lack of a better term.
3: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll totally agree with that and say that when it comes to the premise uh, of this, of this episode, I, I definitely agree. You do not need a firewall everywhere, though. I do think that there are places where they make sense. Um, And I think that in my experience, I've seen people fall on either side and not a lot of people are like in the middle on this one and there's a lot of people who are like no no firewalls ever they kill your performance they're middle boxes they ossify protocols they're they're bad for this they're bad for that which a lot of it's very true um but sometimes it doesn't matter and sometimes over here you know you can gain a lot from firewalls and next-gen firewalls utms or whatever you want to call them um and so i think like anything it's a tool that has its place uh but a lot of folks who are on the very pro firewall side come in and are just like, no, like if I don't have this magic box here, I'm gonna get hacked. And it's just it's viewed as this thing that you put that protects you, which isn't true because misconfigured firewalls uh, can be a huge security hole and can even worsen your security posture. If you have a misconfigured firewall and that sits in a position of trust, like like Tom you mentioned a crunchy exterior, but if you've got that yummy gooey nougaty center of your network, well. If you haven't configured your firewall well, you're really in a bad place because it can create a false sense of security that might not actually exist. And so I think that, do you need a firewall everywhere? No, because there's just some places you can't put them, especially in high performance networking. I mean, if you want elephant flows at 400 gig going through your network, I mean, I don't know of a firewall that can do it at 400 gig. I mean, my 400 gig interfaces, we can't do you know and maybe it can do 400 gig aggregate but can it do an elephant flow of 400 gig you know and if it does how many millions of dollars are you spending on one box versus you know a router or a switch that can do that you know so when it comes to really big high performance networks which is what you see a lot in the service provider space um or university space uh, you know lots of different areas that's where you start going okay we need to really still secure things but we can't use this you know, enterprise mindset of put a firewall everywhere. And I've been on both sides of the camp. I mean, I've actually at one place of employment uh, ripped out all of our routers and we put in firewalls everywhere uh, and it worked really well. So I'm not the kind of person to sit here and say, firewalls are bad routers and let firewalls firewall and let routers route. I, I don't actually agree with that, but you know.
0: And I think it's important to draw a distinction there, because as Nick mentioned a little bit earlier, there are different kinds of firewalls that we see. Um, you, depending on how long you go back into the IT space, the, like the original firewalls were effectively just high-speed packet filters. Like there's an ACL on the interface, just like you would have on a router, that says, permit these, deny these, and do something. And like the, they did this trickery with certain vendors where you could like accelerate those. I remember turbo ACLs were a thing to provide as chris kind of alluded to this ability to do high-speed packet filtering of course back then it was like gigabit packet filtering and it was like oh the rage and then as we added more and more software on top of those interfaces to be able to provide deep packet inspection or you know intrusion protection kind of like you would see from a traditional ids ips type environment that it created more delay and things like that and even now what i would consider like that utm model is even further absolved from that because you've got things like application inspection that you have to do. You've got these new sassy models where you're routing traffic through a service chain that, I mean, conceptually looks like a firewall. It's just a disaggregated, blown up firewall across 15 different services. So I totally understand, Chris, where you're coming from that there is that mindset of either it's an all or nothing thing. Either you have flows that you cannot firewall for any reason and that's that or you firewall all the things everywhere and create this kind of system where you're just willing to live with the performance impacts but let me toss this at you because this is something that's come up in the security space that i think would be an interesting kind of counterpoint to this when you think about what the purpose of a firewall is is basically to provide a secure mechanism to allow packets to land at a destination for some and not for others I mean, if you abstract that far enough out, what you could effectively say is that any kind of mechanism that prevents traffic from landing in a certain location could be considered some kind of a firewalling application. So what about something like a zero trust network architecture? Because that's effectively what you're doing with ZTNA is you're using an authentication mechanism to say that these flows go over here. So you've effectively built a very smart firewall that apparently doesn't have any kind of performance implications could something like that effectively replace these edge case firewalls that we've been talking about, like maybe
2: a host firewall. So uh, Tom, I wanted to kind of jump back a little bit here, because I think we've kind of gone over a couple of the things that we hit on in the last podcast where we were together, but it's about using the right tool for the right job, which Nick talked about here, right? See, and then it also goes back to who's the customer, right? service provider, I'm moving traffic for all those enterprises. For my, you know, enterprise users within the service provider, they might have, you know, a basic firewall out there in front of all the hosts that are in the office. And it does that, but it's moving like a gig, right? It's not those 400 gig flows that Chris is talking about. Service providers are looking at different ways to do the security. They're going to be controlling Doing control plane policing, they're going to be securing the control plane. They're going to be doing things with routing. I think Nick said in a chat he gave about deconstructing uh, security functions. You know, I'm going to bring the hammer and with routing uh, to to solve the problems, right? So that's how you start to kind of deconstruct all those into what the the purpose is, and then enterprises a lot of times they're using their firewalls to get their NAT points and a service provider, you're not doing that. If you need NAT, it's for IPv4 conservation and you're running a CG NAT box. Right. So it's, it's back to the right tool for the job. It's not just about the security parameters that go along with, uh, what you get with a firewall. Right.
1: Yeah. I think you've, you've said something, um, that really makes a lot of sense and that's the right tool for the job. And I think really. A big part of the premise here is that uh, the common a, a common thought is that the firewall is security, and you have to have it, and it solves these problems. Where really, it's just a. You know, I've, let me take a step back. I've worked in some places uh, in the past where there was a misconception that you buy a firewall and you put it in, and then you're done, and That isn't the case. It needs, you know, basically, if you have a a network of any size, it probably needs a large portion of an FTE to run it, Uh, you know, because you have to give it care and feeding, you have to watch logs, you have to do updates, you know, you have to make sure the signatures are correct, all these things. I think where this starts to really become much more efficient is in architectures like Zero Trust, or, you know, as Vince mentioned, the deconstructed UTM, right, where you, you basically take all the components and you move them out so that you can manage them independently via their own processes. So like black hole routing and, you know, host-based firewall, and things like that. Um, but really, the end goal is typically you want to filter the closest to the resource that you're trying to protect as possible. So putting something right at your perimeter, sure, that puts a doorman, there right but you know drive-by scanning and stuff is a minor problem nowadays you know you're gonna it's gonna it's gonna hit the low-hanging fruit where you have to be really careful is you know the you know the the, the clickbaity stuff the stuff that happens because the end user has done something not because A bad guy is scanning your network. And that's where the defense in depth model comes into play, where you have to know that the edge of my network may need a firewall, it may not, depending on what the, you know, what the network type is, maybe the firewall makes more sense in the middle, right? And you plumb everything through it. I've done architectures in that manner, and it works really well. Uh, but it really comes down to doing a true evaluation of what your needs and requirements are, not just assuming that if I put this device at the edge of my network, that I'm suddenly safe.
3: I think back to that idea of you know a lot of a lot of folks who put in you know just the device at the edge of the network to think that they're safe. You know they're usually doing something like this. This is, this is the typical like enterprise design. No, I, I shouldn't say design. The typical enterprise deployment I've seen a lot is you know you've got a, a firewall at the edge. And you got a bunch of Windows servers, and the first thing every system has been done is is turn those host-based firewalls off because they just cause problems. Um, And the host-based firewall is a very overlooked tool. I mean, Windows firewall is really good. I'm not a Windows fan, really, but, like, you know, IP tables on Linux. Oh, my goodness. Like, you can do so much with all those things. And you talk about securing things as close to where they need to be secured, right, or as close to where the data is. Your host-based firewalls are often overlooked, and I've seen way too many organizations just turn that off and hide behind a NAT, which isn't security. Sorry, yeah, I went there, and just you know pray. And that's not a really not a really great strategy, and so you got to. Yeah, I really like what you said there, Nick, about moving that filtering as close as to where it needs to happen.
1: I mean, in the olden days, you know, when we were riding in our covered wagons to the office to work on the networks. That was how I was taught to do it. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent—that's the way I learned. It served me fairly well. Um, obviously, it's not the only way to do things, but I think it's one of the very overlooked uh, strategies that can be used as part, you know, of a larger, uh, you know, security posture.
2: Well, Nick, I'm gonna go off that. Right, you have to look at your security posture holistically. Because like you said a few minutes ago, a lot of things today are because a user did something and now, okay, I opened up this web session and it downloaded a bunch of malware to my computer. Guess what? That's a valid session on my firewall. It looks good. It's clean. It passes the filters. Nothing, nobody knows any different, but unless I have something on the host or I'm looking at the logs off the host and pushing that back to a SIEM. And then, you know, I have a security analyst looking at that, that then goes and takes an action or automates an action based off a trigger. Am I really any more secure because I had that firewall there, right? It just passed right over it. And yeah, sometimes
3: you- I've seen uh, organizations that have really oppressive firewall rules just to block everything, you know, under the sun it's like oh we we pay for all these categories so we're turning them all on in the firewall GUI, right that's what you do otherwise you're not getting your money's worth and guess what almost everybody has a cell phone nowadays that has tethering capabilities and i have seen so many people and I, heck i've even seen it professionals be like ah yeah just go into your cell hotspot real quick because uh, we can't get that unblocked through the firewall I, <laughs> no like you're doing security wrong then if, if you're if you're making your security so burdensome and so overbearing that people are just going to find ways around it and that's not good security posture and that's why vince you up a great point about your holistic overview of how you're looking at your actual security
0: so let me ask this question because kind of speaking to that point about these uh, oppressive firewall rules that prevent people from doing things like when you're creating a packet filter it's fairly easy to craft things that say just drop things from this ip address or make sure that this protocol isn't is usable over the internet but as Vince mentioned, a lot of people are getting really, really creative. I can remember back when I was doing this stuff for a living, one of the first things that I had to deal with at schools was the fact that BitTorrent was able to jump on port 80 and and ride over web traffic, even though it wasn't an HTTP request. And it was very difficult to be able to do that. And we had to get more invasive with a packet, a packet scanning. Which is great when I'm in an enterprise, because when you agree to sign onto the network, you check a little box that says I can look at anything I want. So anybody who wants to um, come at me about, you know, well, why are you decrypting all of my SSL traffic at the at the firewall? Um, read your EULA. But what about a service provider? Like if you put packet filtering firewalls in there to do like, you know, protecting elephant flows, that's one thing. But as a service provider, if I'm scanning the traffic as it flows across my network with some kind of a UTM device, there are certain rules about common carrier that says, am I allowed to be a common carrier if I'm completely inspecting all of your traffic, you know, for security purposes, can that open the service provider up to some kind of a liability issue where it's like, well, if you're looking at it, why aren't you blocking the illegal stuff?
1: So there's two things here. Um, Well, three things really one, I'll address what Chris said about the cell phone, the tethering. This is not a new concept. The Brief time I spent in the Enterprise in the late '90s, one of my first jobs was going through people's desks to take the external modems that they'd been given to get around the the um, the content filtering. So, analog modems, you know, this is this is an age-old problem.
3: Second rule eleven of know, RFC nineteen twenty-five always <laughs> applies,
1: right? So the second thing, you know, in a, in a service provider network, this is common with small uh, grassroots uh, provider networks, WISPs in, in particular, I've seen a lot of this where, you know, they build a network because they need one and they don't have one, but they don't have a service provider background. They have a networking background in another discipline, probably, you know, more enterprise style, and they will insist on a firewall to be in front of the entire, you know, relatively small, usually ISP because they don't trust the users. But as a service provider, your job is not to prevent the users from shooting themselves in the foot. It's to provide data transit and nothing more. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Obviously, there are reasons to filter things that can be amplified like SNMP and charge in and you know, and, and SNMP or uh, SMTP in particular has been filtered a long time, but you have to allow for uh, exceptions in those. And again, I guess my, my point here is that a service provider's job isn't to, isn't to protect the users per se from themselves. It's to provide them internet transit and then be available if they need help. Uh, and I think that's, that's really common. I've seen it a lot in small uh, ISPs that just don't have the the background, but you're right. It does open them up to having that data. And that's not necessarily something that you want to have.
0: All right. So having firewalls everywhere probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We've talked about that. We, we like this idea of the crunchy edge, which is as nostalgic to me as the seventies on seven, XM satellite radio channel. It's nice to think about every once in a while, but we're not ever gonna go back there. Um, I've I've said in the past that we need to start thinking about security more like an M&M cookie. There's a crunchy edge and there's good bits inside, but we still need to protect those with a nice candy shell. And that's a lot where a lot of the advances that we've been uh, talking about have been coming from this idea of, of deploying these firewalling type devices closer to the edge resources that we're trying to protect. I mean, it's the reason why you have a host-based firewall. It's the reason why you can put some kind of an interposing perimeter device, kind of you know, at a junction point. Um, I always think about you know the way that we deployed IDSs. It's like if you put an IDS on every system, you're going to get overwhelmed. Whereas if you put them in strategic places, you'll get the right data that you need to figure things out. With firewalls, where does it make the most sense to put them? Can you give me a couple of examples so that when people hopefully download this episode right before the change freezes over and they go back to the office on you know Monday in January of 2022, that they're like, hey, this is absolutely a place where I should be doing this. You know, Maybe the next uh, upgrade cycle, they're like, hey, instead of buying 45 firewalls, we need to buy
3: five really big ones and put them right here. So my advice would be that it depends, as always. I know it's a cop out, but it's true. Um, but I, I would just really, really recommend to people, you know, hey, if you're if you're rethinking your firewall design, don't don't overlook the host-based firewalls. It is incredibly powerful, um, really important tool. And even if you do have central centralized firewalls or edge firewalls in your organization you still should have host-based firewalls. So that, that would be kind of my two cents would be, don't overlook that that one particular tool and uh, you know use it to its best benefit.
1: I think to couple onto that, um, if you're reevaluating your firewall deployment strategy, you should really be looking at it in a larger context of a defense in depth strategy. It's just a piece, right? It is not your security. It's a small part of how you execute your policy. So think about it in that context. Um, And then Tom, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to touch on that's sort of unrelated to the architecture. uh, Although, you know, I have ideas about that as well. The, uh, you know, if you have all this data, you have to make sure that you're actually using the data, right? You shouldn't be getting alerts for things that aren't actionable. You should have someone that regularly reviews the policy. You should have someone that's constantly looking at the the logging and everything else that's coming through in order to accomplish the other two pieces. So it's not just about where you put the things and how you configure them. It's what you do with the data that they generate afterwards, as especially as part of a larger strategy.
2: I think a, a good place where I still see uh, quite a bit of value in firewalls is uh, when you have Multi-tenant data centers, right? So if you're an enterprise data center and you have a large multi-tenancy requirement, say I'm running eVPN and I'm running, you know, a lot of VRFs on it, I need somewhere to collapse those. I know that I want to kind of filter it with a hammer. I'm gonna put a firewall there. I'm gonna collapse the VRFs. I'm gonna lock down the policy. I've, you know it just works, right? I mean, it's simple, it's easy. I never thought I would say simple and firewall in the same sentence, but that's a great place. It gives you one exit to the data center and then you get to all your tenants inside, right? And I don't have to think about the policy a lot. Where that does start to get complex is when you have to manage state, if you have a lot of data centers that you're stringing together and you have to think about that uh, from the routing standpoint, before you go down that path.
3: So Vince, one thing that you and I have talked about in the past, you know, that I still think would be kind of cool to see would be a firewall that actually participates in my EVPN overlay and can actually do inter routing and inter VNI routing in that context and extend EVPN all the way to the firewall. So firewall vendors, if you're out there listening, I'd love to, I'd love to see something like that.
1: I think that's common. I mean, we've been seeing a very clear path where firewalls have, you know, reasonably strong routing stacks. I'm sorry, UTMs have, you know, solid routing stacks. They can participate in, you know, fairly large environments. Uh, They can do, you know, first hop routing. They can handle all the filtering and they can do the interface speed. So I think that that trend is well underway. And I'm guessing that, you know, of the vendors that are listening, at least one or two of them has already got a strategy for doing this.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that the the landscape is shifting. But more importantly, it's shifting because the way that we operate our networks is changing. So for those of you out there who are trying to figure out the best way to do firewall deployments, I want you to put yourself in a different mindset. I want you to think about a game of tower defense. You have a limited number of resources that all have different capabilities and a large surface area to cover with limited amounts of placement. Draw your network out and put your tower defense pieces where they make the most sense. Use the minimum number that you need to accomplish your goals. Because if you get stuck in this mindset of more is better, then what you quickly find out is not only is more way more expensive, It's also less advantageous because even if you do get an alert in the data that you've collected, you may not know exactly where that alert triggered, or you'll get interactions that don't make a whole lot of sense, you know, kind of like putting, you know, 18 of the same kind of tower in the same row. Well, if there's something that comes through that avoids all those towers, you're kind of sunk. And if you kind of think through that mindset, you'll realize one, we don't need firewalls everywhere, but two, certain firewalls or UTMs or application inspection engines work a whole lot better in other places. And with that mindset, I think what you'll find out is that you'll be able to provide a defense in depth scheme that will protect you much better than just dropping a packet filter everywhere that you think it makes the most sense. You'll be happier, your operations teams will be happier and the people who write the checks for your equipment will be much happier. All right, well, that will just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable. Thank you very much to our guests for tuning in. Remember that you can always find the latest episode of this podcast if you head over to our website, gashaltit.com podcast. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast application of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Overcast. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you want to leave us a like or a review, uh, people really do read those things and it helps them figure out if this is the kind of nerdy IT infrastructure talk that they want to listen to. We should be back with another episode very soon. So make sure that you tune in. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon.